0: We'll turn in your Bible, if you would, please, to the book of Lamentations, chapter number one. Lamentations, chapter number one. And in just a very few moments, I'll begin reading in verse number eight of the chapter. And with the help of the Lord, be reading through verse number 12. Lamentations, chapter number one and verse number eight. Thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart for allowing Miss Cassie and I to be with you during these most important days of your World Missions Conference. Pastor and Mrs. Bloom and the staff here have gone out of their way to make us feel welcome and we're honored to be a part of the conference. For all of you that had a part in that evening meal, thank you not only from the bottom of my heart, but from the bottom of my stomach. It was very good and we enjoyed putting all that good Italian food into the gospel ministry. We realize things like that just don't happen on their own. There was a lot of work. Preparation went into that meal. And so, Cassie and I want to say thank you for the wonderful, wonderful meal. Thank you for the wonderful accommodations. Thank you for the warm welcome. And we are excited about what we feel in our hearts the Lord is going to do right here at Central Baptist Church this week. Cassie and I will commit right now to praying daily over your faith promise That God would give through you in the coming year what He would never give to you so that others could hear the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The same gospel that God used to change your life and that God used to change my life. It's such an honor to be here. Thank you so much for coming. Lamentations chapter number 1. If you're able, would you please stand in honor and in reverence to the reading of the Word of God. Lamentations chapter number one and verse number eight. The Bible says, Jerusalem hath grievously sinned. Therefore, she is removed. All that honored her despise her because they have seen her nakedness. Yea, she sigheth and turneth backward. Her filthiness is in her skirts. She remembereth not her last end. Therefore, she came down wonderfully. She had no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction. For the enemy hath magnified himself. The adversary hath spread out his hand upon all her pleasant things. For she hath seen that the heathen entered into her sanctuary whom thou didst command that they should not enter into thy congregation. All her people sigh. They seek bread. They have given their pleasant things for meat to relieve the soul. See, O Lord, and consider, for I am become vile. Is it nothing to you All ye that pass by, behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. I want to call your attention, if I may, to the simple yet sobering question asked by the prophet Jeremiah in verse number 12 of this the first chapter of the book of Lamentations. Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? With the help of the Lord tonight, I'm going to preach on this thought. It ought to bother us if it doesn't bother us. Let's bow our heads, shall we, for a moment of prayer. Father... I want to thank you, Lord, tonight for the inspired, inerrant, infallible, impeccable, indestructible word of the living God of glory. My Father, we would all be very wise tonight to not only hear it, but to heed it for the sake of a lost and dying world, while we yet have opportunity to do so. Now, Father, you know my heart. I want to be a blessing and a help to Pastor Bloom, Mrs. Bloom, their family, and to the wonderful church family of Central Baptist Church. And if that's going to be the case tonight, I cannot do it without you. Cleanse me of sin and self, therefore. Fill me with your precious Holy Ghost, for only then will I be the preacher that you've called me to be. Thank you for what you have done, what you are doing, and what I believe by faith you will do here during this most important week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated tonight. As you study the Bible, you'll discover the book before us actually consists of five sobering poems, one poem making up each chapter. God, of course, used the prophet Jeremiah to pen this book of the Old Testament as he did the same book that bears his own name. In fact, I've always found it interesting how that the book of Jeremiah and the book of Lamentations actually fit together to disclose the message God desired to convey to His people uh, during Jeremiah's prophetic ministry. The book of Jeremiah looks forward to the Babylonian captivity and the destruction of Jerusalem with solemn warning, while the book of Lamentations looks back to the same with somber mourning. One Bible commentator has insightfully stated, the book of Lamentations is sort of like reading a letter from a loving father. A letter from a father whose heart is in the process of breaking having disciplined his own child. Hence the title of the book, Lamentations. For you see, to lament means to show or to express grief, sorrow, or deep regret. To lament not only means to mourn, but it literally means to mourn deeply. It means to mourn sorrowfully, uh, to mourn with a heart that is in the process of breaking. Here, ladies and gentlemen, is the record of God Himself through the pen of the prophet Jeremiah lamenting as He looks upon the devastation and destruction of Jerusalem. Devastation and destruction that happened as a direct result of the nation of Israel sin. Let me encourage you to consider the context of Jeremiah's penning, the book before us. According to the historical record, Jerusalem had once been a magnificent, a very prosperous city. Jerusalem had stood as a glorious testimony to the rest of the world of the power as well as the glory of God. In the magnificent city of Jerusalem stood the glorious temple that God had used Solomon to build. And inside its massive walls families had lived, children had played, and love had been shared. Jerusalem at one time in their history had been a city of both peace and prosperity as God had showered His abundant blessing upon His people. However, the same historical record reveals the fact that in approximately 586 B.C., Jerusalem was invaded and ultimately destroyed by the Babylonians. That is exactly why the first chapter of the book before us is a scene of devastation and destruction. By the time Jeremiah was used of God to pen chapter number 1 of the book, the walls of Jerusalem and the homes in which families had lived had been reduced to nothing more than rubble. By way of introduction to the message tonight, consider, if you would please, a few thoughts directly from Lamentations chapter number 1. As I begin to dig into this, the first chapter of the book of Lamentations, I see number 1, the description of the place. The description of the capital city of Jerusalem. As Jeremiah stands and looks down the abandoned streets of this destroyed city. If you'll notice in verse number 1, he begins to describe Jerusalem as a wife who had lost her husband. Jeremiah continued to write in verse 2 of the text, She weepeth sore in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers she hath none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They are become her enemies. The description of the place, notice verse number 6. In verse number 6, Jeremiah now, he continues to describe the devastation as well as the destruction of the once powerful, prosperous city of Jerusalem. In verse number 6, he begins to describe the city as a beautiful young lady whose beauty had diminished. If you'll notice in the latter portion of verse 6, Jeremiah says her princes are become like hearts that find no pasture and they are gone without strength before the pursuer. And so yes, here as early as the first few verses of Scripture in Lamentations chapter number 1, we witness right before our very eyes, Jeremiah describing the capital city of Jerusalem. Oh, what a scene of devastation. My, what a scene of destruction. The description of the place. But then we not only see the description of the place, we secondly see the discipline of the people. We not only see the result of the Babylonian invasion, but brother, we see the reason for it. The discipline of the people. Jeremiah writes beginning with verse 3, look at it with me. Judah is gone into captivity because of affliction and because of great servitude. She dwelleth among the heathen. She findeth no rest. All her persecutors overtook her between the straits. The waves of Zion do mourn, because none come to the solemn feasts. All her gates are desolate, her priests sigh, her virgins are afflicted, and she is in bitterness. Her adversaries are the chief. Her enemies prosper. For the Lord, watch your Bible now, for the Lord hath afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children are gone into captivity before the enemy. And therefore, can I hasten to say tonight, the word of God is abundantly clear. God's people had responded apathetically to say the least to the commands of the God of glory. And now, listen, they're paying the price as a result of the chastening hand of God upon their lives. Their beautiful once prosperous city had been destroyed by the enemy. Life as they had known it was virtually over. The walls had been broken down along with their own spirits. Therefore, you can certainly begin to understand then the perplexity of the man of God in verse number 12. As Jeremiah stood in the abandoned streets of the city of Jerusalem, as he began to evaluate the condition of the city as well as the condition spiritually of God's people, Jeremiah noticed people passing by the ruins. He noticed people passing by the heaps of rubbish and quite frankly was appalled at their lack of reaction. There were those, according to the text before us, that did not seem to care at all. The sights, the sounds, the subjects of the total destruction... Of the once prosperous, powerful city of Jerusalem and its inhabitants did not seem to move them whatsoever. They, according to the Bible, did not cry. They did not sigh. They didn't even as much as say, oh my. There was no concern. Are you listening to me tonight? There was no concern exhibited at all for the city or the people that lived within its borders. The Bible goes to great lengths here in Lamentations chapter number one to teach us that it was nothing to them and they simply pass by. That's why I say to you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we not only see the description of the place, we not only see the discipline of the people, but thirdly, we see the disillusion of the prophet. Jeremiah proceeded to ask the sobering question in verse 12, our key text tonight. Is it nothing to you? all ye that pass by, behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of His fierce anger. Jeremiah simply could not believe that anybody, Could look upon such devastation and destruction and not be moved in some way by what they had witnessed themselves. He proceeds to ask the question in our key text tonight Is it nothing to you? Do you not care? Does it not bother you that the city that once was so majestic, marvelous, and mighty has been reduced to nothing more than heaps of trash? Does it not bother you that the massive walls that once surrounded the city, walls that at one time spoke of power, prestige, and prosperity, are now nothing more than heaps of rubbish? Does it not bother you that God's people have been taken captive by the enemy? Is it nothing to you? Jeremiah Ask the question in Lamentations chapter 1. Do you not care? If you don't care, how can it be? How can it be? Well, can I hasten to answer that question by saying... The same way God's people can be made aware of the great need to reach the world with the gospel and not be challenged and ultimately changed in some way by the great need that we have been presented with. And so God sent me here from the mountains of northeast Georgia to ask the Central Baptist Church of Ocala, Florida a very important question this week. In light of the need of the world, in light of the need of Costa Rica, in light of the need of the small towns of South Dakota, in light of the need of Brazil, in light of the need of Mexico, in light of the need of the world, is it nothing to you? All ye that pass by. Some of you may remember just a few years ago down the road here, in Cocoa Beach, Florida. There was a young man, 31 years of age, by the name of Jamal Dunn. Jamal Dunn drowned while five teenage boys who were high on drugs were looking on. While the young man was in the process of drowning, the news story revealed that the five teens saw him they witnessed him drowning. They heard his cries for help and even went as far as to video him while he was in the process of losing his life. They witnessed what they witnessed and did absolutely nothing to help Jamal Dunn. The officer investigating the drowning said, and I quote, to think that anyone would lack the kind of moral conscience to stop them from even calling for help is beyond me. It's one thing to see something and not want to put yourself at risk or in danger, but to not even place a phone call is beyond my comprehension. Unquote. Now, of course, you and I here at Central Baptist Church tonight, we can't even begin to fathom that, can we? How could anybody stand idly by without even calling for help? Without even trying in some way to aid someone who is immediately in front of us that is bound to die unless we motivate ourselves to do so. Well, I submit to you this evening, it should be just as perplexing for you and I to try and understand how God's people can stand idly by while millions and millions and millions of people on this globe are on their way to hell. Most of them having never hearing, never have they heard presentation of the same gospel that you and I were blessed to hear that changed our lives forever. And so can I ask you again this first night of your World Missions Conference is it nothing to you? Is it nothing to you all ye that pass by? Is it nothing to you that the greater majority of the 7 billion people of this world tonight haven't even heard the name of Jesus? Much less a clear presentation of the gospel. Is it nothing to you that annually Americans spend more to feed their dogs than they do to send the gospel around the world. Can I just say to you tonight, if that doesn't bother you, it ought to bother you. If that doesn't move me, if that doesn't motivate me to want to get off of a padded pew, if it doesn't motivate me to give a faith promise missions offering, then I ought to be bothered by that. Is it nothing to you? Is it nothing to you that annually Americans spend more to feed their cats? Is it nothing to you that annually Americans spend more on chewing gum throughout the course of the year than they do to send the gospel around the world? If you're not bothered by that, if I'm not bothered by that, I ought to be bothered. Is it nothing to you that 70,000 plus people will die before we lay our heads on our pillows tonight in the unreached world without ever hearing the name of Jesus? Is it nothing to you that annually according to World Evangelization Research Center there was more money embezzled by top custodians within local churches last year than there was invested in world evangelism for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it nothing to you that annually the average American churchgoer gives a penny a day. That's right. One cent a day to global evangelization efforts. You can do the math. That's roughly 30 cents a month. Three dollars and 60 cents a year. Uh, While the need to reach the world through our going and through our giving has never been greater. Just a few months ago, I was blessed to get on a plane in Atlanta, Georgia, And fly to Salt Lake City, Utah and preach a brand new church plant's first, I think it might have been his first or second, uh, missions conference, missions revival. And I was talking to that church planner while I was there. He said, preacher, I want to make you aware of the fact that there are now 400 towns in the state of Utah alone with nothing more than a Mormon ward. No church. No choir, no soul winning, no missions outreach. Macedonia is blessed to come alongside the Bright Light Baptist Church in Concord, North Carolina and help them service their church planner, Brother Danny Vaughn, who is serving uh, in the state of Utah tonight. And not Utah, I'm sorry, but in the state of Idaho tonight. And are you aware of the fact that in the state of Idaho, 99% of every town with a population of less than 1,000 has no Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. No independent, fundamental bible believe in King James preaching church 99% that's not a foreign country friend that's right here in the United States of America hear me this evening Central Baptist Church Currently, there are 1.4 billion people in China. Currently, there are 1.3 billion people in India. There are 326 million people in the United States of America. There are 267 million people in Indonesia tonight. And Indonesia is growing at a rate of 24%. And let me remind you this evening, ladies and gentlemen, I realize where I'm at. I don't have to remind you of this. I know you already realize this. I'm preaching to the choir tonight, but every now and then I just like to make the devil real good and mad while I'm preaching. So I'm just going to say what I know you already believe. Jesus died for every single one of those people that I just mentioned. Jesus didn't create people just to get glory to send them to hell. He went to the cross of Calvary and He shed His precious, personal, powerful blood so that the world, so that the world, the people of Costa Rica, the people of the United States, the people of Brazil, the people of India, the people of the world through Christ could not only have life, but have it more abundantly. I want you to know tonight, if you're here and you've never met the Lord Jesus Christ personally, Jesus died for you. Jesus shed his blood for you. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. For God so loved who? The world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. First John chapter 2 verse 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus died for the world. Jesus shed his blood for the world. That's why I say to you tonight... He is hope to the hopeless. He is help to the helpless. He is the bread to the hungry. He is the water to the thirsty. He's a friend to the friendless. He's a physician to those who stand in need of spiritual healing. He's a friend that'll stick closer than a brother. He's a foundation that'll never run down. He's a fountain that'll never run dry. The world needs Jesus. And Jesus died For the world. And so I ask you tonight. Is it nothing to you? Do you not care? I want you to know this evening. It ought to bother us. If it doesn't bother us. Have we drifted so far from God? Have our hearts become so grown cold and calloused have we become so distracted from the much greater need that we're just not moved anymore in the next 10 minutes in the next 10 minutes I want to give you three reasons why I believe we're not bothered anymore First of all, I must be honest tonight and preach the truth to you. I think, number one, there is a problem with coldness. The fires of evangelism that were once stoked by the experience of our own soul salvation due to a lack of fuel and stirring has nigh gone out. Coldness. Coldness. I just want to preach real plain right here because I love you. You can't go week after week after week and never pick up your Bible other than to bring it with you to church. Never read it, never study it, never meditate upon what God is saying throughout its precious pages and expect to have a burden to reach the world with the gospel. We can't vacate the prayer closet and expect to have a burden to reach Costa Rica with the gospel to the point that we would give sacrificially and pray fervently to get the gilbalds there to start a great Bible believing Bible preaching church. There is a problem with coldness. Have our hearts grown cold? towards God and the things of God? Do we go to church to get out more than we go to get in? There is a problem. I really believe there is a problem with coldness. Secondly, I believe there's a problem with complacency. For you see, it's one thing to be cold, but brother being cold and not even caring, Brother, that takes the problem to yet another level. I want you to know you're listening to a preacher that's been in a different church every Sunday of his life now for the last five years. It'll be five years in May this year. And if you were to ask me tonight, Brother Cornell, if you could sum up the average independent Baptist church today in one word what would that one word be? I wouldn't have to think five seconds. That one word would be complacent. Can I give you Scott Cottle's definition for complacency? Here it is. Smug satisfaction. That's what complacency is. And the reason that I'm spending a little more time on this complacent point Then I even did the first point is because I had the blessing of pastoring independent, fundamental, temperamental Baptist for almost 22 years. And if I were to ask to sum up 22 years of pastoring, if I were to be asked, Preacher, what would you say the greatest problem was in the churches that you pastored? This is what I'd say. Complacent. In 22 years of pastoring, I had 21 missions conferences myself. And it never failed, Pastor Bloom. It never failed. In 21 years, somebody, somebody would always come to me and they'd say something like this, Preacher, we already support 50 missionaries. Can I ask you a question tonight? In light of the great need of the world, what are 50 missionaries? We need 5,000. We need 10,000. We need 15,000. And you're content with 50. I appreciate what the preacher said earlier. A hundred and forty missionaries around the world. A hundred and sixty thousand dollars given over and above your regular tithes and offerings so that others could hear the gospel. And he would never tell you. But I assure you, I assure you, knowing people that I've pastored throughout the course of this week, somebody... Some You might not do it now that I've preached about it. But some of you, if you were to bear what you have thought today, it would be this. Here we go again. Missions conference time. Pastor Bloom is going to hold up the faith promise card. He's going to tell you how. That's that fellow from West Virginia. You'll have to bother He's going to tell you how easy it is to tear that faith promise card. And you know, you would never say it outwardly. But right here, right here where nobody knows but you and God, you're okay with one hundred and sixty-one thousand You're okay with that. But can I ask you this before I give you my last point? What is $161,000? Jesus said, For what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his soul? So can I ask you this before I give you my last point? In light of the great need of the world, couldn't we do a little more? Couldn't we do a little more? If you've been given $30 a month, couldn't you give 35 next month? If you've been given $100 a month, couldn't you, couldn't you bump it up to $105 next month? If you've been given $200 a month, hey, for the sake of the world and the coming judgment seat of Christ that you and I will stand before one day, I don't believe it's going to be long, ladies and gentlemen. It's not worth being complacent over. Coldness. Complacency. Now, notice the final point. It all leads to this final point. The coldness, if it's not dealt with, will lead to complacency or smug satisfaction. And the complacency, if it's not dealt with, you know what it always leads to? Callousness. That's why preacher Caudill can preach until he's red in the face until his heart's about to pound out of his chest. And not all, but some, will leave tonight unchanged. Callousness. Preacher, I don't know about you, but sometimes I get busy doing good things. Good things. Keeping a schedule making sure 125 different missionary families around the world get their monthly funds so that they continue to do what God's called them to do. And if I'm not careful, my heart will become distant from God and the things of God. And when that happens, when that happens, I have to find a place and get along with God and say, Lord, would you touch my heart again For the great need of the world If you Ever were to come To our missions offices In Braselton, Georgia If you were to go to my office When you walk into my office You'll see several things Sitting on my desk But on one side of my desk You'll see a globe A globe of the world And every now and then, Brother Gilbald, I'll take that globe and I'll spin it. sitting there at my desk. And I'll spin that globe. And I'll see Costa Rica. And I'll think about Brother John Claude and Miss Matilde, that we've got to get there. I'll flip it around to North America and I'll see the western United States where it's not like here in churches in abundance. Town after town after town. No church, no preacher, no gospel witness. And then I'll take it and I'll spit it around to Europe where Cassie and I was last sun- summer. And I'll pray for our church planners there. There's a globe sitting on one side of my desk, but on the other side, the complete opposite side from where the globe sits on my desk, there is an hourglass. And sometimes, Pastor Bloom, after I spin the globe, I'll take the hourglass and I'll turn it upside down and I'll sit there and I'll watch the sands fall from the top of that glass to the bottom. And I ask myself this question. Is it nothing? Oh, ye that pass by. I heard a very wise preacher say one time, I've never forgotten it. He said, you know, after you've been blessed to hear a Bible message, a Bible message, there are two times that you should utilize the altar or get along with God. Number one, when you are bothered by it. How many of you have been in church and man, Pastor Bloom got up on a Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night and it it was just like, look, he knew what you had been thinking throughout the course of that week. And some of you are nodding your head. And, boy, God deals with your heart through the preaching of the Word of God. And you know that's the Holy Ghost inside of you saying, you know that preacher's right. You know that Bible's right. You need to get right with God. And, boy, when we're bothered by something, a good Bible message, boy, we ought to do business with the Lord. But that wise man of God said something else I've never forgotten. You know what he said? There's another time that you ought to use the altar as well. There's another time you ought to get along with God as well. You know when that is? When you're not bothered by it. If you can sit in a service like tonight and be presented with the great need of Costa Rica and it not bother you, it ought to bother you. I'll tell you what I believe. I know God doesn't call everybody to go to Costa Rica. But I believe every one of us who are saved ought to wrestle with it. I know I do. Man, there's a part of me, preacher, that wants to go down there with him. And man, help him. You ought to go to his table after the service. Listen, he's already got, he's an architect by trade. He taught architecture in the school. He knows how to build buildings and do everything like that. He's got a plan. He can show you. He's got the properties all laid out, Pastor Bloom. He's got the the church building here. He's got the school here. He's got the Bible training center here. He's got it all mapped out. He just needs somebody to get on board with him and help him get there. So in light of that great need, can I ask you one more time before I pray? This first night of your World Missions Conference, is it nothing to you? Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? You've listened so well. Would you bow your head with me tonight?